Drive gets inside, leans in, knocked away, it's stolen by Holiday. Now up for the layup, oh, blocked by James. To Curry, way down top, bang, bang. the Tiger. This kind of sick. Zion's gonna want out soon. Here's the thing, I don't think the front office of that organization, of that New Orleans organization, knows what the heck they're doing. What can I say? Mamba out. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Josh Eunangst, and today we are back with another podcast episode on this beautiful Monday morning. It's actually relatively not too hot out yet. It's going to be 96. So I got that to live for. But right now, it's only in the 50s, 60s. So you have that to look forward to if you're in Arizona and you're up around that time between 6 a.m. and 8 a.m., right? During those times. So a bit cool, right? But today, guys, we're back after a great night. A really, really good night of basketball. That that whole day was pretty fun to watch with basketball. There were some games in there that I liked and didn't like. My most fun game was um the uh what's the what's the team's name the Celtics game. I really did find that fun. The least the. The most boring game, just because it was a blow, was the Heat game. Heat won 115-91. to 91. I expected Bucks to happen. Another entertaining game was Bucks bulls That had some nice feel to that. That was nice. There was a lot of intensity and passion put into that game. But nothing could compare to the Nets-Celtics game, where it came down to legit the final second of the game, where... It was the craziest play ever, and the ball miraculously got to the hands of Jason Tatum. Did a nice spin move, laid it in, had .4 seconds remaining, and it was a buzzer beater. That, it was pretty, it was pretty cool, because if I remember, that was the first playoff buzzer beater since 2010 for the Celtics, and that was when Paul Pierce hit that, um, Hit that game winner back in 2010. So I found that pretty cool. But it was intense because Kyrie Irving was leading the way with 39 points. He was exploding in the fourth. The Celtics gave up their lead. There was no safe lead. Everyone was shooting a high percentage. There were so many shows. Like this was such a great game defensively and offensively. Because... 56 points were in the paint. 32 points were in the paint. Celtics had 56. Nets had 32. Both teams each had 12 steals. 6 blocks for the Nets. 5 blocks for the Celtics. This was a gritty, gutty game. This was a game that wasn't just chugging up shots. They were calculated. Both teams were calculated. It was physical. It was intense. There was bad blood. There were some cheap shots in there. There were some times where the refs could have called something, but they let it go. There were times that there was needed to be a foul, needed something to be called. It was really, really cool. Uh, Kyrie Irving getting emotional with uh, the fans and uh, some of the actions he did on the court. Response I, I, there were all these different emotions. There were stuff going on throughout the entire game. If you did not watch this game, oh, you better catch the replay. Because highlights does not do that any justice, my friend. So Boston clearly won that game 115-114. That was at home in Boston. But guys, that was incredible. Four out of the five starters for for the Boston Celtics. We're in twenty. Uh, we're we're in twenty plus points. I mean, they scored twenty plus points. That's incredible. Al Horford was doing incredible stuff. He was dunking. He was doing all these different juke moves, spins, 
It was crazy. He had 20 points, 15 rebounds. Jace Tatum had 31 points, 8 assists, 4 rebounds in the game winner. Jalen Brown had some great blocks, had some great rebounds, great hustle, 23 points. Marcus Smart with 27 and 6. And guys, that was really, really fun to watch. Very intense, but very cool. And TD Garden was going off. Some last fans I've seen in a while. When it comes to the Celtics and just playoffs in general. But that was a high, intense game. I cannot stop talking about this game. I'm going to watch it again, pretty sure. Because that would be fun if I can. But guys, that game right there, I'm hoping there's six more. I hope we go to a game seven. Because both teams were electrifying that first game. And boy, oh boy, do I want to see more of that. If I get more of that was in game one, I'm going to be the happiest, luckiest guy ever. And that's a very, very good promise. Well, guys, before we get into the news of the day, just recapping that, let me just start out by talking about social media, Stubstack, and different things like that, just to get out of the way. So first, guys, you know where to find us on social media. This should be a pretty common thing now. I'm legit throughout the entire internet of social media, right? I'm there. I'm there on Instagram, but where I'm mainly popular at, in the sense of where I'm mainly posting at, is Twitter. And you can find us at twitter.com slash Quartzite Heat. Let's go on the app, search Quartzite Heat um, in the, on the search bar on Twitter, right? Or just do twitter.com slash Quartzite Heat. It's that simple. All of our social media handles are Quartzite Heat besides Instagram. Instagram is Quartzite Heat NBA. Long story on why we had to put the NBA there, but doesn't really matter. All that matters is that you can pretty much find us on social media, right? That it's Quartz of Heat. If you put Quartz of Heat even on Instagram, we'll come up. Just go to the one that says NBA. But yeah, that's where you're able to find us on social media. Not too complicated. I'll put it down in the description below if anyone wants to check that out. Also, guys, we're on Substack. Substack is really cool. We have that there for more of our high-level articles, free and paid. That's our paid membership, right? But we're also doing this for fans that just want a high-level... They want high-level articles, meaning they want articles that are attacking or approaching... Hot topics, hot takes, interesting topics that many people are talking about but they want a clear sense on or they just want a different perspective on. We've been breaking that down. So we have CourtsHeat.com that has all of the breaking news for men's college basketball when it was going on before it concluded two weeks ago. Women's basketball, the WNBA. Uh, we have the Members Club and Men's Basketball, which is the NBA. Then, of course, the podcast. But here on Substack, we just have... Our most popular post on there, which is our high-level, hot-topic, hot-takes, different-perspective articles where we legit just cut a video on what you guys don't know about James Harness, Puff Pressure, or predicting the first round, recapping the plan. Um, even what we did for WrestleMania, the top five WWE wrestlers in their NBA comparisons. So we update this Every other day, or we try to do it daily. But worst case scenario, guys, if you don't want to go to Substack, which will be courtsayheat.substack.com. Again, that's courtsayheat.substack.com, which will be in the description below. That's fine. Just continue to use courtsayheat.com. That's our main website, as you guys should be familiar with, unless you're new to the podcast or just new to Courtsayheat in general. And if that is, welcome. We're happy to have you aboard as we are growing every single day. But that's pretty much where you can find us, guys. Nothing too fancy, nothing too tricky, right? And it's as simple as that. Again, I'll put that in the links below. I'll put that in the description below, all those links. 
Then lastly, guys, we have the store and Patreon. Patreon's um, awesome because it, it really does help us when you're able to support us uh, financially to help us grow and just continue because it does make a huge impact on the amount of articles we get out, the amount of podcast episodes we're able to get out, all the specialty content we want to get out, covering the NBA every single day through Twitter, giving game uh, updates play-by-play updates, which we do a lot for the Phoenix Suns, right? So we have that going for us on our platforms. So just supporting us on Patreon or even stopping by the store and getting yourself some cool merchandise or swag, you never want to pass up on that. We got coupons coming out like crazy. And if you go through Patreon, you get monthly and weekly coupons but to get started you get these cool promo codes where you're saving tons of money because trust me who does not like saving money i'm cheap i i I like being cheap so anytime i get a promo code a discount whatever it is even if it's just saving five bucks i'm there but you guys can legit get 50 percent off 40 percent off or anything higher than that five dollars off ten dollars off however off we have it on there it's there trust me we're not being switching here. It's the real deal. What we're saying. So just um, so consider getting some merchandise. Consider just supporting um, Quartz I Heat. It will be huge. Thanks. And yeah, that's all my announcements. That's all what I have to do for social media and whatnot. Just getting you guys knowing on where to go, etc., etc. Without further ado, let's jump right into the next segment, the next part of this beautiful podcast, and that is recapping the news of the day. We didn't do that on Saturday because I just felt it would be it would have been better if instead of doing that, I could just predict the first round, uh, try to say the Bulls were going to upset the Bucks, the playing recap, and all of that. Uh, fun stuff. Now we're back with recapping news of the day. And there's a lot of stuff that affects the free agency in the offseason. Affects the draft maybe. Perspectives on that. And even just the plops now. And to begin with the plops now, I'm going to focus on a guy who's been out since game one. Which which is a very critical name for one team. And that would be the Dallas Mavericks featuring Luka Doncic. He did not play in game one due to a calf strain. He's battling his own injuries right now. And it's not likely he's going to be playing in game two for the Dallas Mavericks. The only way he could play is if he makes dramatic improvement. Unless something dramatically changes and now the best Euro player in the entire league miraculously gets better. There's no way. There's no way. So Luka Doncic is unlikely to play in game two of of the first round. And that's going to be a blow because we don't know about Tim Hardaway Jr.'s. Um, what he, how he's going to be able to go in or any of those other guys. So I'm going to have to check the injury report on that and get back to you guys on that. But it's going to be very interesting about Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic is the heart and soul of that Mavericks team, of that Mavericks locker room. And so not to have him is completely crippling and devastating because even though they were in close range against Utah Jazz, Utah Jazz just cannot power you. Even though they were lost by 6, 9-9-93, let's not forget that Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, all those different guys can legit beat that team easily. And they're going to do it again because they realize that they're going up against the undermanned Mavericks and they have a deeper depth chart and they have a better bench at the moment. Or even in the future. So that's something you have to take in consideration. So to leave out guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. and most importantly Luka Doncic, that 
that's going to kill any momentum you're going to try to establish or anything good you want to have put in place without your key player. And also, and I don't know if this really matters to the Raptors, because the way things are looking after game one, and I get it's only game one, they could be booted. Scotty Barnes and Gary Trent Jr. are expected to miss game two after suffering injuries in game one in the game one loss to the 76ers. That was a complete thumping. They actually played tonight, 4.30 p.m., Arizona time. Pardon me. Last game in Philly before they head down to Toronto. And it gets real for Philly because some of their guys are unvaccinated. And I went through uh, the Canadian stuff if you, don't have the, if you don't have the jab. But um, Toronto got blew out by 20. It's say the least, the 76ers rocked the world. Rocked the world of Toronto. It was bad. It was over since the second quarter and really heading into the third. You saw Ty Tyrese Maxey go off for, 39 for 38 points in his first playoff game in his entire career. That was huge. James Harden had 22 points and 14 assists. The 14 assists are critical. Joel Beat had 19 and 15, and Tobias Harris had 26, and Shake Milton had 10. Right, so there was a lot of guys right there that played a substantial amount that contributed a lot. And the Raptors, without Scotty Barnes and without Gary Trent Jr., are going to be missing a combined 24 to 30 points. That's what they're pretty much getting when they're playing, combined, of course. That's going to be lacking on the rebound side, and that's just going to hurt their depth chart. Let's let's be real about this. They don't they don't have a deep depth chart. They don't have a deep bench. So you take out that, you take out Scotty Barnes, and you take out Gary Trent Jr. The small the small forward, the backup to Gary Trent Jr., who's a small forward listed as that, is Delano Bunton. Or Chris Bosher. So if we're trying to replace that forward, but then, but then you also have to do that for Scotty Barnes. So Precious, Precious Achua, I hope I'm saying his last name right, I apologize if, I, if I'm not. Or Chris Bosher is going to be filling in for that. But this is their death chart when we move past, or Thaddeus Young, sorry, forgot about Young. But here's their death chart after their starting five. You guys ready? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. You say that's a lot. Not everyone's activated. That's one. Two, you're going to be missing two of your key players. And in the grand scheme of things, it's all well and good to say, well, they have 12 guys, but they don't do a huge impact. I get it. They're going to have to step it up, but you're asking guys who are averaging 0.8 points, some of them, to fill in a huge amount. So their death chart's not as big as Philly, or really impactful, because if you move past the starting lineup, this is who you have. You have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 guys. And those guys include Danny Green, Paul Millsap, DeAndre Jordan, um, Shake Milton, guys like that. And when you go to Toronto, when you go to Toronto's, you have guys like Precious Achua, Chris Bosher, Delano Banton, Isaac Bongo, David Johnson. Like these are not well-known guys for a reason. These are not skillful guys. Meaning that can bring impact. Thaddeus Young, sure, to a certain extent. But you also gotta remember, Thaddeus Young won't, may not even be available come game two. Because it's also been reported that he's not most likely gonna be playing. So you're gonna be really short staff out of three guys. So you're gonna be missing three forwards, and that's gonna have to be filled by. 
Preston Achua, Chris Bosher, Dion Bonten, and different guys like that. That's a losing battle right there. And no disrespect towards those fine guys, but they're not going get to get the job done against Joel Embiid and his crew. So that is something to heavily consider in the grand scheme of things, without fail. And lastly, guys, we have something that's going to be affecting the offseason. Nothing for the playoffs. We're moving out of that, moving out of that mindset and going into a new one. And that is the Lakers surrounding Russell Westbrook. So it's looking like the Lakers are unlikely to trade Russell Westbrook to the Hornets for Gordon Hayward. Yes, the Hornets are a team of interest in trading for Westbrook, but it's unlikely the Lakers will take will will take Gordon Hayward in a trade for Russell Westbrook. Why? Because Gordon Hayward has not had the most squeaky clean or any type of clean history with injuries. His injury history is bad. And the Lakers want to prioritize players with a cleaner set a cleaner history of injuries. Because there's been recent issues with Anthony Glassman Davis and LeBron James. Right now, it has to evolve their availability, injuries, and just because those guys are getting older, like LeBron, majority of LeBron, because he, isn't he like 36, 37? So he's getting older. He's in the, he's not, he's, he's getting into his later 30s, which will take a toll on the body. Plus, Hayward has missed 71 games out of 154 games in his first two seasons with the Charlotte Hornets. Plus, when he was with the Boston Celtics over the span of three seasons, he missed some considerable time. So putting that all into one, you're asking a lot. So it makes sense why the Lakers won't trade Gore, uh, won't try to trade for Gordon Hayward. They're gonna try to get guys that are not injury prone. They don't have a huge list of injuries attached to them. And they want to bring back some long-term salary to Los Angeles. They want to bring back some of that money. They can't, they can't be this deep into the hole. And that's what Mark Stein from Substack was pretty much saying. He's the guy that wrote the article. So, so don't expect the, the Lakers to trade for Gordon Hayward. But don't be surprised if the Hornets stay a team of interest. Because they are. And the Lakers have entertained that. And now they're allowing that. Just not for Gordon Hayward. And with that being said, guys, that's all I got for recapping the uh, news of the day. I tried finding any more news. The only other news that I found was Kyrie Irving and um, him flipping off people in the crowds and uh, yeah, a lot of hand gestures. A lot of hand gestures. Just going to leave it at that. I guess he was returning the um, I guess he was returning the emotion that what like I guess he was returning the fans energy on why Kyrie kept giving fans the middle finger. I guess that was all. But yeah, yeah, cuz it got tense there cuz even a lot of fans cuz even everyone was shocked that he was doing it but he made it because it happened after he made a really impressive shot by, by the wing, between the wing and the corner, so around there. A really impressive three-point shot, and then he just flips off everyone. So, a lot happened in that fourth quarter. That's when emotions were starting to boil up. And he was pretty much saying that there's only so much one, um, one, uh, one athlete can take. Of like of all the cursing and just making fun of a person, calling names, etc., etc. And he said that athletes are expected to be humble, etc., etc. 
But um, in short, he uh, disagreed with that, and he, uh, he said it's the playoffs and that he has a different strategy. Of course, I am taking this into my words, because if I used his words, I would have to put the explicit warning on this episode. Which, hey, um, that can't really do and don't want to do. But yeah, so to uh, say the least, emotions were happening, and that was the only news I was getting. Uh, that was the only news that I was getting. That was actually being reported news. Now, more may come out tomorrow, just as news in general, moving past Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets. Um, about the NBA, once this podcast episode's uploaded at 8 a.m., like it is Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday. I don't know. But that's that's all the news. Again, I tried finding more, but you know what? Some days are like that. Not every day can be filled with news. It's only one of me. I can only handle so much news. So now I gotta put that on court heat and whatnot. But yeah, moving away from that, let's go into the topic of the day. And we're going to be reviewing the top three finalists of each award and predicting the winner. Because I know um, on April 16th, what was April 16th? Was that a Saturday? Because that would have been two days ago. Yeah, that was a Saturday. And I expressed who I wanted to win. Who I wanted to win the award. I am not biased. I just have favorites. I'll let y'all interpret that. But here, before I announce my winners, because I can't do that first without addressing the finalists, let's uh, discuss the finalists first. And many people say Jokic should be the winner, that Hero should be a winner. And I'm talking about different awards, of course. That Monty should be a winner, Spolstra should be a winner, that Morant should be a winner. That Bridges should be a winner. That Mobley should be a winner. Like we got all these different things. But let's check out the top three finalists before I give my opinion formally. So first up, guys, for the Kia NBA Most Valuable Player Award, we have Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, and Nikhil Jokic. Secondly, we have the Kia NBA Rookie of the Year, Scotty Barnes, Kay Cunningham, and Evan Mobley. Thirdly, we have um, Kia NBA Sixth Man of the Year, Tar Hero, Cameron Johnson, Kevin Love. Um, then next, we have Kia NBA Defensive Player of the Year, Mikel Bridges, Rudy Gobert, and Marcus Smart. Next, we have Kia NBA Most Improved Player, Darius Garland, John Moran, and DeJounte Murray. Lastly, guys, we have NBA Coach of the Year, Taylor Jenkins, Eric Spolstra, and Lee Monty Williams. You can tell my bias right then there. So, those are the top three finalists for each award. I pulled, I pulled this, I was, I was reading off image from NBA Communications. They can be found on Twitter, at NBA PR. Pretty much where I found it, right? It, it, it was released Sunday. Um, NBA on TNT was addressing that. So, just getting a feel for this. It's interesting how we want to look at it. Because we can look at this several different ways. I'm gonna, st- I'm gonna move. I'm moving down the mic. So if you guys hear it squeaking, that's just the mic. Um, I'm gonna start from the first category announced all the way down to the last category announced, and that is the NBA Most Valuable Player of the Year. Wait, yeah, award the MVP award. And for MVP, I picked Joel Embiid. Why? You could pick Giannis Antetokounmpo. I could have picked Nikhil Jokic, but I picked Joel Embiid. Look, I'm not going to lie. Nikhil Jokic 
is an interesting player to me. He deserved it last season, but so did Joel Embiid. They've been having the past season and this season, so over a two-season span of a huge feud for the most valuable player. And I believe it's Joel Embiid's time. Because he's rocking the stats. He's doing things that many big men can't do. But the same could be said about Nikhil Jokic, which I'm not going to describe him about. But the man is currently averaging career-high points, which is 30 points per game. He's shooting about 50%, 49.9% from the field, 37.1% from beyond the arc, 11.7 rebounds. That is a career-high in rebounds. Oh, I'm sorry, no. No, no, no. That would be the next best thing to a career high. Uh, his career high in rebounds per game is eleven is thirteen point six in twenty eighteen. He's averaging four point two assists. He's double. He's almost doubling that from last year. Well, for last season, four point two is not bad. That's another career high. He's having career high in, his, in steals with one point one, and then averaging one half blocks per game. Those are some elite numbers right there. And he's been bringing down many boards. Like, take this for instance. He's having great shooting nights, but also, every single game, he's double digits. From March 27th to April 16th, and I'm including the first game of the playoffs, um, the only game he missed was April 10th. Out of all those games, the lowest... The lowest amount of rebounds he grabbed in one game was 10. That was April 7th against the Raptors. The highest he got was against the Pacers April 9th, playing at home, which was 20. The lowest he got, every single was 15, 14, 15, 14, 17, 13, 10, 20, and then 15. But then also within that span, because I'm just taking about the span from March 27th to April 16th, he was also record, re recording some great blocks on April 3rd against the Cavaliers, where he scored 44 points and got 17 rebounds. He got 5 blocks. That is very good. And looking at all season, and the stuff that he was doing all season, has put him on the map. Has put him on the favorites. Because I, I I truly do believe that he should be the favorite. He really, really, really should be the favorite to win. But the problem is here, and I think many people will agree, and this is per Vegas Insider, Nikhil Jokic is the favorite to win the MVP again. At minus 380. Joel Embiid is at plus 265. Jan's Antetokounmpo is not... He's a finalist, but he's not in the conversation. The conversation is between Embiid and Jokic. Because where Vegas Insider has him at is plus 800. Then Devin Booker at number 4 at plus 7,500. Uh, 7, so it's really just between Jokic and Embiid. Personally, I want to see Embiid win win, but if Jokic wins, it'll be back-to-back, -back. because Jokic is also very impressive. He is. I'm not a big fan. I, I'm a fan to a certain extent of Nikhil Jokic. I can appreciate his style that he plays, the style of the game that he plays. I find him a dirty player at times, but overall, he's doing incredible things. I, I believe he is because this season, he's averaging career-high points, which is 27. He's averaging career-high uh, field goal percentage, which is 58.3%. He has gotten 33.7% from the field beyond uh, from deep. He's currently averaging career-high rebounds, which is 13.8. He's averaging 7.9 assists, close enough to 8 per game. And he's getting a career high in his steals, which is one and a half. Blocks are 0.9. That's a career high also. And taking within from March 
24th to April 16th, just counting in the pops now, excluding April 10th against the Lakers because he did not play. He was he was averaging between 25 to 41 points in that span. The lowest he got was 25. That was his playoff game. But on April 5th against the Spurs, he got 41. And he shot 18 of 35 and 17 rebounds and 4 assists. Rebounds, he's doing good in. He's also been up on steals. Got three steals in the playoff game. April 7th against the Grizzlies, four steals, and different things like that. Steals go free, 2-2-2, two, 1-2-2-2, two, 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 4 free. He's also got some blocks in some games. He got one block, one block, two blocks, one blocks, two blocks. And there's some zeros in there, which will be free games that had zeros in it. So it's very closely contested. It, it really is. If you guys think about it, the conversation between Joel and Bean and Kelly Jokic, they're both favorites in my eyes, which they, which they clearly are. But personally to me, if we're going off a stat reason, I would pull for Joel and Bean. Why? Because he's getting more he he's getting more points. Right? I, I, I don't see anyone would deny that. He's getting more points. He's making more impactful games. In that stretch from March 27th to April 16th, including the playoff game, he's been um, a maestro in it. He's been magnificent in it. He's also been he's also been playing with injury. He's been playing for knee injuries. He's been playing for some tough injuries. So just have that weighing in our decision. Jokic did not have to face that, but. Jokic had to face the obstacles of still not having two of the best players on that team, right? But when a man has to play for injuries and he's still playing at high volume, and he's and he's winning multiple months of being one of the best players in the league, and he's being recognized that by his peers and by the media, by the NBA, it is very very cool to see. He's been consistent in his shooting. He's great on blocks. His defense is unmatched. He he's very extraordinary. And for such a big man, he's getting steals. He's listed at seven feet tall, and he's getting some pretty good steals per game. Jokic is six eleven, and he's so and he's still getting those steals, right? I'm talking about just from a statistic perspective and just seeing the man play, watching highlights, and breaking it down. I've always been a fan of these two. But I just believe in my heart Joel Embiid's going to win it. That's why I have Joel Embiid winning it. Because he's played for injury. He's gone up and down. When the 76ers hit a rough patch, he was always there. Even in tough games. He's had some incredible performances, and that should not be discredited. Both have, but I think when we're looking at both, it should sway toward John B. It just should be. That's my personal feeling, and so I'm going to pick John B for that. Then when we get to Rookie of the Year, we have Scotty Barnes, Kay Cunningham, and Evan Mobley. For, for, for y'all that don't know, Scotty Barnes plays on the Raptors, Cade Cunningham, Pistons, Evan Mobley, Cavaliers. For that, I, I had two options I could have picked. I could have picked... I could have picked, say, Cunningham or Evan Mobley. I picked Evan Mobley. Why? Because looking at the stats, you would say, well, say Cunningham's averaging more points. Well, let me give you some points on on uh, Evan Mobley here. In 69 games, off of 33.8 minutes per game, he's averaged 15 points, 50.8% from the field, 25% off 
from from deep. Um, 8.3 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 0.8 steals, and 1.7 blocks. Say Cunningham, so, um, 64 games, 32.6 minutes, 17.4 points, 41.6%, percent 5.5 rebounds, 5.5 steals, 1.2, I'm sorry, 5.5 assists, 1.2 steals, 0.7 blocks. Then finally, Scotty Barnes in 74 games in off of 35.4 minutes, 15.3 points, 49.2% uh, from the field, 30.1% from deep, 7.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists, 1.1 steal, 0.7 block. The reason why I chose the key NBA Rookie of the Year winner to be Evan Mobley was because Evan Mobley has been extraordinary. Even when he was injured, even when the Cavaliers were facing all these different injuries, when he got back, he played some of the best basketball in his entire career. He's been transcendent. He's pushed the Cavaliers. When there was no Colin Sexton, when there was no more Ricky Rubio, when there, were, when there weren't those guys that could tell, when Jared Allen was hurt, when there were guys that were hurt, Evan Mobley had to step up, and he was held to win games, alongside Lori Markkinen and Kevin Love and different guys like that. To me, say Cunningham was able to be so good and under the radar because he was playing for a bad team. And because he didn't have that much pressure, in a way, because he didn't have that much pressure in a way because it was the Detroit Pistons, he was able to do his thing, and it was really just Jeremy Grant. You could argue a few more guys, but it was really just him and Jeremy Grant shooting the ball. And those are the main focus guys. Evan Mobley had to share the rock with many, and he was not—he was not on top of the food chain. He was not number one. He was not number two. He was not number three. But then, when injuries came in, when push when push came to shove, hard times came. He impacted. He improved himself. He kept growing, and that was under the guidance of Kevin Love or marketing different guys like that. But I gave this to Evan Mobley because he's shown maturity in some games. He's shown that he's able to take his game to the next level. And he is the best rookie out of the whole entire draft class. There was a reason why the Cavaliers drafted him at number f at, with the third overall selection of the 2021, 2021 NBA draft. His defensive presence is huge. Especially in the paint. He is such great reach. It helps. He's cal he's calculated. He does this on both sides of the ball. He 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 can develop a good post game. Like there's many great qualities of Evan Mobley. I believe Evan Mobley deserves to win. I truly do believe he deserves to win. I I, I, I believe that's the only way to look at it because Evan Mobley has done more for one fran has done more for one franchise a rookie than say Cunningham and Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes and say Cunningham did not have to go through the struggles that Evan Mobley went through. Does that make sense? Because in all of that, he took him to the playoffs, along with all the incredible talent, of course, that was on there. Now it was as somewhat healthy or healthy. And even Vegas Insider will agree to that. Evan Mobley is the clear favorite at minus 213. Scotty Barnes is plus 155. Say Cunningham's 1,000. So going off those odds, say Cunningham's not even in the running. Say Cunningham was good. It's good. But... The media and everyone fell in love with Evan Mobley because of the hard times that Cleveland underwent. 
and then what really allowed them to explode was just developmental growth, was just go through the ins and outs, working through it. People took note of that and they're like, hey, he deserves to be rookie of the year. He's transcending his team. He's making that position better. Say Cunningham wasn't. He, he wasn't winning them games. Evan Mobley was. Scotty Barnes was. But Evan Mobley did more. When it got tough, Evan Mobley rose above. Even with injuries he suffered. I think that's very safe. I think that's very fair to say, right? And that's why I'm going to give it to him. So I'm going to give it to him. Now, lastly, guys, uh, next, guys, we have NBA Six Man of the Year. That award. And that was Tyre Hero, Cam Johnson, and Kevin Love. Um, this one to me is not hard. Why? Because I, I picked this to be Tyre Hero. Why, why Tyre Hero out of everyone? Well, the reason why was because Kevin Love, it, it gets tricky with him. Sure, he was a great sixth man, but he didn't do anything really extraordinary. His career is falling apart. It's derailing a bit. He's still giving it his all, but it's still lacking. He's still trying to recover. This was one of his best seasons since 2015. I will give him that. But Tyre Hughes to win. Cam Johnson faced too many games out, plus he was still learning. He showed some inconsistency, and as much as that pains me to say that he's not going to be the winner, I don't believe him to be the winner. I want him to be the winner, personally, and because I'm biased because I'm a Phoenix Suns fan, and I love the game of Cam Johnson. I just believe Tyre Hero did more to prove that he deserves to be Sixth Man of the Year. He's improved himself each season. He's made himself an integral part of that team. He's crucial, and he can go off for big games. He's become more consistent. He's having career highs in points, field goal percentage, free point percentage, uh, rebounds are the same. Uh, he has careers and assists, steals, and even in minutes. Plus, he's upping the ante on the games he plays. The Heat are able to be dependent on him because he's able to go in and prove that he belongs and that he's able to take that team to the next level. He's, he's, the thing that separates him, Cam Johnson, and Kevin Love is that when he's playing with his second or third unit, if he gets swapped into that, or if he's coming in to be a starter and he has to play that way, he's able to recognize that. He's able to differentiate his game. He's always able to make his teammates better. And he's always able to do that by creating his own shots, by taking the necessary shots. Getting out of his comfort level. Cam Johnson is a good shooter, but he never really got out of his comfort level until late in the season or mid in the season where it got too late to the point where, well, he wasn't taking that many shots. He had some great runs, especially against the Knicks, but then he had that setback injury where Tyre Hero didn't have to have that setback injury. Tyre Hero. Plays like a starter while being a sixth man. He has those qualities, those attributes. Cam Johnson, in 26 minutes per game in 66 games, is only averaging 12.5 points, 4 rebounds, and a half assist. Tyler Hero is doing exponentially more, and he was growing over that over the course of from 2019 to now. Same as Cam Johnson. Again, I love Cam Johnson. He's growing and growing and growing. I can't wait to see where the three-point shooter, where this shooter goes. And to elevate his game, too. I believe he's going to be one of the best. And now that he's starting to get back his mojo, his swag, he's getting out of this funk, he's now able to climb back into that. But because he was in such a funk, it was turning people off saying, well, he's not a true six-man like Tower Hero or even Kevin Love. 
Kevin Love to me is out of the question, out of the picture. It was right between Cam Johnson and Tyler Hero. Personally, I award to Cam Johnson, but statistically and logically, and what I believe is right would be the Tower to Tower Hero. It's because it, it, it just makes more sense. It really does make more sense. Tower Hero is minus 10,000. He's the overwhelming favorite. That was updated five days ago. That's interesting. To me, guys, that's that's very interesting. I'm sorry, trying to look this stuff up. Because if you think about it, I'm watching these charts. Tyler Hero is the clear favorite. Tyler Hero is the clear favorite. People are recognizing that and people are seeing that. Again, this is no dig towards Cam Johnson or to Kevin Love. I, I respect them both. But Tyler Hero just makes the most sense. He's done more. He acts like a starter. He plays like a starter. But he's able to adapt to a six-man role and play efficiently and go above and beyond within his parameters. And sometimes when he's acting to go outside of those parameters, boom, he turns it on like a light switch. That's why I'm awarding the Six Man of the Year Award, the Tower Hero. Next up, we have the Defensive Player of the Year. That one I chose Mikel Bridges. To me, Mikel Bridges is hands down the winner. Without fail. That seems right. Anyone else that says no does not know the game of basketball. Mikel Bridges has played fundamental bas basketball defensively. He's able to force guys into uncomfortable situations. He's able to stretch the court. He's able to play lockdown defense in the perimeter and everywhere else. Around New York. Everywhere. He's been able to lock down guys. Kevin Durant even said it was tough to play up against Mikel Bridges. CJ McCollum yesterday against when they were going up against the Pelicans in the first game of the first round. In game one of the first round. You didn't see him being burned or anything. He was locking down guys, getting blocks, getting good contested shots, and not having to hack a guy. Mikel Bridges is undoubtedly the guy. Marcus Smart is also there, but he has not had the elevation to his game. Mikel Bridges has. Mikel Bridges has developed and just elevated his game. And Mikel Bridges is defensive player of the year because he's not taking the game off. He's played through injuries. He He's played through injuries. Let that be known. He's played for rough times. I I believe it's Mikael Bridges. He's a true Iron Man. He plays defense smartly. He's there. I I just don't see where I'm going to get confused at. And I get it. We're going to have different perspectives on that. I get it. We're favoring... Uh, from Bet, G, uh, Bet MGM, that Mark Smart's minus one ninety, but I, I I don't see him as the favorite. I don't see I, I don't see Rudy Gobert as the favorite. He didn't do anything to impress me. Mikel Bridges did. Never takes a night off. Always hustles. Always determined to be better wins. And he plays solid defense. He locks guys down that could be twice his size, uh, twice less than his size. Or just about his size or exactly at. That is just a fact. And he does it so well. That is without fail. My friends, that's without fail. You could say that Marcus Smart's closing the gap. And he's truly the number one guy. But Mikel Bridges has done things that not many guys could do, if any. He's consistent. He doesn't get burned. He does things that are abnormal. And he has guys' attention. He has a 7 for one wingspan. And he uses that. 
He is truly incredible to watch. He's there playing 34.8 minutes per game of solid defense, consistent defense, that scares the crud out of his opponents. There is no, there is no mismatch against him. There is no defensive breakdown. Rudy Gobert's defensive breakdowns. Marcus Smart's defensive breakdowns. But not Mikhail Bridges. And he physics. He corrects them, if any. That's why I'm picking Mikhail Bridges. So moving on, we have the NBA most improved player. Hands down, guys. Hands down, that is Darius Garland. He's the most improved. His basketball IQ has grown. His maturity has grown. His basketball skills have grown. His talents have grown. He's grown in hard times. He's made sure to be a leader of this team when asked. He goes above and beyond. That is just a fact. That's just a fact. He's been improving every year since 2019. 12 points, 17 points, and 21 points per game. He has career highs in field goal percentage, points per game, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks are the same. That is insane, guys. He's averaging 21 points per game, 8.6 assists per game. He's consistent. He's been doing all the things right. He's made sure to correct any errors in his game and to make sure that he's able to elevate his game. John Morant could be made to be uh, most improved, but not in the significant way that Darius Garland has. Sure, you can say that, well, he's gone up eight points and points. Takes more shots. But I'm not going to say that to him. He has gone up in field percentage. The 49%. Okay. But. He's decreased in assist. He stayed right down there. He, he's elevated his game. But not to the trajectory. Not to the projection of. Darius Garland. It could be close between John Moran and Darius Garland. But at the end when we're looking at that. Darius Garland has taken a more of a leadership stance of everyone. He's commanded offense much sooner. Everyone's comfortable with him. He's building better chemistry. I'm not saying John Moran and the Grizzlies have I'm just saying there's defining markers with Darius Garland. Garland, beyond the stats, has done things that you cannot teach and that you can teach. And it's truly incredible. And he played on a Cavaliers team that was in the rebuild mode. And he continued to get better and better and better. And even when the pressure was on him to close out a game or get a game going or just play good, he was always there. He was always there. He gets his steals. He's good defensively. He's good offensively. He He's not a gunner. It personally, to me, DeJounte Murray could... In fact, being it, but I don't know. I don't know. Sure, he's improving. He's improving in every single category. But I'm choosing Darius Garland. It's going to be close. But I'm choosing Darius Garland. To me, it will either be DeJounte Murray or Darius Garland. My favorite's going to be DeJounte. I'm not sorry. Uh, Darius Garland. Personally. Personally. That's what I'm, that's what I'm taking. That's what I'm taking because I do believe that to be a fact. It just depends what we're looking at, but Darius Garland's the clear favorite. It's a clear favorite at, at plus 600. But then again, they're all run the same. Now, his favorite. Everyone's there. Like, 
There's nothing really defined I can say that would separate free because they have been growing. They have been improving. I just see Darius Garland as the more significant one, if that makes sense. So then moving on to NBA Coach of the Year, I put in Monty Williams. Hands down, guys. Tara Jenkins and Eric Spolstra are two heck are two great coaches. They're a heck of a coach. Both of them are. But Monty Williams, since entering the league in 2018, as head coach of the Phoenix Suns, has done nothing but give them more wins, give them more credibility, take him A and O in the NBA bubble, coach them through, make sure he's developing the right guys, getting the right system in check, making sure they're winning. Ever since he's came on the scene, they've done great things. They have winning records. They go into the NBA Finals. They're back in the pops. They have a franchise record of wins. They've built a better culture. They've built better chemistry. They have a better locker room, a better atmosphere. Guys can now relate to each other more. He's able to build fundamental principles and values into guys. He's done it all. Taylor Jenkins is beginning on the scene. He, he's beginning... Coming onto the scene. He's good, but not my lows good. He took the Suns to new heights. He took a franchise to new heights that not many guys were rejecting. They were the underdogs, matter, but then they were doing stuff after starting one and three. They go on to win 18 games. That's a franchise record. They've done things that blew the Warriors out of the water, that blew the Grizzlies out of the water, the Heat out of the water. They've done things that just blow. And define the law of basketball. He is taking Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, different guys like that, and he molded them, developed them, and continues to mold and develop them into the most complete player or the most complete area that they'll most thrive in. He's done that. He's done that to DeAndre Ain. He's made him calm down. He's made him to get a new perspective. To learn better fundamentals and know the key stuff to win games and win his career. He's done that. He's transcended the Suns. The Suns are laughing stocks, but now in three years, now they're at the top of the game. People are now taking it more seriously. Peers, the NBA is now being being put. How do I want to say this? The Suns are now being put in a place where wow. That head coach is really transcendent because now he's gone every single, all the players, every single player, coach, staff, everyone in the position to win. He's turned around the culture. He's turned around the mindset. He's turned around the perception of winning, what the perspective should be, the, the challenges in losing, the challenges in winning, never taking comfort, always having motivational quotes and speeches that really moves players. Spolstra. Look, he's not coach of the year. His team has always been good. Just have. Mario Williams taking a team from the dump, took him to great heights, top of the mountain, despite losing. And he's going to take him there again, most hopefully, most likely, potentially. Terry Jenkins is not Monty Williams. He's not reached those heights. Mario Williams is a great developer, is a great talker. He gives great speeches. He does great things. He integrates so many key parts and he under he he drills in the importance. He takes things to a new level. He and he, he does things in a calm manner, in a positive manner. He does things that that will get guys to understand. Not in a native way, but in a positive way that allow the game to be played Differently for the Phoenix Suns. He's made sure the Suns have slowed down. They've got rid of the 7 second. Uh, shooting. They did with Mike D'Antoni. And all those guys. He's established new ways. It is pretty remarkable. So with that being said. It's clear Monty. And if it's not Monty. Then the NBA is rigged. It should have been Monty last year. They give it to uh, Coach Tibbs. Why? Because it was the Knicks. That's why. But this is Molly Williams' turn. It should be Mikhail and Monty. Two Phoenix Suns winning it. That's, that's how I see it. 
That's how I see it. Coach of the year should be Monty. I'm not going to say that I'm right. I'm just going to say that I'm right. I truly do believe that. And so to wrap this up, guys, here are my NBA awards picks again. MVP, Sloan Bede, Depoy, Mikael Bridges, uh, MIP, there's Garland, uh, our, our Rookie of the Year, Evan Mobley, uh, Sixth Man of the Year, Tower Hero, and Coach of the Year, Monty Williams. If you guys have any comments about that or want to add your own input to that, just know that you can reach out to us, Courtsaheed for, uh, sorry, Courtsaheed13 at gmail.com or 602-791-2108. That's the Courtsaheed text line. Then, yeah, just let us know your thoughts and feelings, anything else you want to share, and we'll go righty on in on that. So, guys. That concludes our time today on this beautiful Monday. I'll be back here, what, Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday at 8 a.m. And I'll be here Friday. I'll be here Saturday. Until then, guys, hope you have a great Monday. I hope everyone enjoyed their weekend, Easter, with family, friends, or even just relaxation for yourself. Until then, I'm always right. Phoenix Suns are going back to the finals. And let's just hope I'm not wrong in those predictions. Until then, I'll catch you guys Wednesday.